Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Citizen Reporter in 2018. Yes, indeed. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. On the internet, I'm also known as Bicycle Mark, and I'm very glad that you're out there listening to me right now, somewhere. Uh, the following recording and the way I wanted to kick off 2018 actually comes from the last days of 2017. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stick with me. I went to the United States, land where I was uh, born and raised. Specifically, I went to Boston. Now, I wasn't raised in Boston, but I sure do love that town because whenever I go, I go spend time with Christopher Leiden, the great journalist, host, thinker, fan of jazz and literature from all over the world. He's one of my favorite people on planet Earth, and I'm not exaggerating. I don't say that lightly. So to close 2017, I had the pleasure of staying with Chris for a few days, as we often do my favorite ritual to sit around or sometimes walk around, eat the oatmeal in the morning, have the uh, warm drink and discuss what is going on in the world and discuss history as well and then discuss what is to come. What does it all mean? And how do we as journalists and, and podcast creators fit within the larger puzzle? Here we go. It's me and Chris Leiden in Boston. The, the walks, we've had a few walks despite the weather. Uh, I think by far my favorite visit was to the uh, Boston Public Library. Um, and I think what makes it interesting is to hear Chris, to see it through his eyes and his experience. I think that's... I apologize, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the amazing thing, right? When I... <laughs> the amount of lenses that I get to look through, the sort of... Through Chris Lydon's eyes, through his father's eyes. Looking at this public library, which is, of course, much, much more than just a place with books. Um, it's a... What it symbolizes and, and even the function that it serves or served. Uh, I'll say serves, because there's still so many people going in there. Hmm... And then with all this uh, comes some, some good meals. If you're going to have good conversations, you better have some good meals. So that has been uh, part of the, the visit. And of course, like any visit, at some point I want to turn on a microphone. Uh, of course, many good conversations are not for recording. They're just for experiencing. But uh, every now and then we can record something. And as I drink my hot chocolate, uh, the idea here is that with 2017 coming to a a halt, an end, uh, it's over. Some people would say good riddance. Some people will say, hey, that, that wasn't so bad. Uh, but we want to get maybe more specific. We want to look at what have we learned, what what was interesting, the good, the bad. And I think, in, and in that function, I would love to help uh, you, Chris. Hey, Chris, I sat down at the mic there. Um, this could even show us the way when it comes to uh, where we're going to be in 2018 or what's going to be the big, uh, because I know that's something that you're very curious about. Uh, hi, Chris. Chris is on the mic now. <laughs> Good day, Mark. Yeah, he's got, he's wonderful got to his, have you back in my house. He's got his coffee. He's got his, uh, his special bread for dipping. Mm. <laughs> a little raisin bread to get the larynx yeah. coordinated. You get a couple of food groups there, the, the fruit and, mm. the, and the grains. Can I say just, I love your take on the Boston Public Library. I'm so glad we did that. Yeah. In the Copley Square, the real cultural, philosophical, almost architectural hub of the universe, 
But the point is, a uh, very political building, built at the same time as the New York Public Library, very much in sync, but a better design, I think. Famous uh, McKim, Mead, and White firm that uh, did it, built on the model of a Renaissance palace, really. Yeah. But it was built 1895 by the Brahmin aristocracy in Boston as the immigrants started coming. My father's family was among them. Yeah. But it's the public library of the city of Boston built by the people for the advancement of the learning. And over the front doors is free to all. It is my sort of working definition of a social democracy, Boston style. And it works. And it's working better in 2018, 2017 than, than in my memory. New wings, new ah. uses, new kids, new media inside it. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so glad you saw it. Yeah, it, it, it's a beautiful thing. And I mean, you know, one thing when we talk about the the era, and I, I find that we, we don't just talk about it. I mean, you've done plenty of reading about it, so have I. Uh, but we kind of, I think we often want to know more or want to feel the feeling of that time of what people were were thinking uh, for the future and, and planning for it, even building for it. And I find that fascinating because then I, I, I have the tendency to look at today and go, how similar or different are we today? I say we, the the country, the world. Um, and it's easy, of course, and I think you and I love to do it, to look back at the past and say, those people had vision. Those people cared. They were thinking for the future. Nowadays, we may be doubtful. I don't know. But I think we, we put the past in this... Um, I keep saying on a, on a pedestal, you know, uh, as as such a special time. But I don't know. Funny, uh, you notice the whole Boston Public Library is built on a little pedestal, little yeah. flat pedestal. But you walk up, not to a pyramid, but uh-huh. you're going someplace. Yeah. But, but there are moments where you see no, there was a vision. Yeah. In Boston, at the end of the 19th century, there were people who said, "We don't need a public library." We have the Boston Athenaeum for the right. people who read. That's right. And there was a stronger impulse somewhere, even in the upper class, that said, no, no, no. You get people coming, and they're going to need the book. They're going to need books to take home, not just to come and read, and popular books, mm-hmm. and all kinds of books. There will be needed. We'll need branch libraries eventually. Yeah. There was a social vision. I, I compared it with you to John Lanchester's uh, wonderful picture of the underground in London. Somebody thought, wait a sec. Yeah. We, we, we're going to have to put unbelievable new technology, incredible investment into a system of public transportation. It made London. Yeah. And the Boston Public Library made Boston in certain ways. We're at the end of 2017, and, uh, oh, God, I, I, would, I would happily talk more about the way we look to the future as a society, maybe even as a globe. Um I don't know if we want to dwell too much on it, but uh, I do wonder what's the what's the London Underground, what's the Boston Public Library of our time? I mean, it, maybe we're too close to see it, so we we can't know. But uh, I, I, I suggested to you recently, just to throw out an idea, so it'll give you more time to think of. But I suggested that on some level, go to a place like Dubai. Uh, I'm not, I don't know if it's the future, but it's certainly the present. Uh, you know, a place that's very vibrant, very important uh, for many people. And they went and they built, uh, similar to the London situation, they built a a metro, an overground metro. And for the first time, people of this complex society mm. see each other, share a vehicle, uh, for many people the first time. And it's a very complex society. It's very layered, uh, it's divided. And I wonder about how 
that that huge act of uh, of investment could change that society in the long run. People say, you know, Lagos is really Charles Dickens's London <laughs> in its multiplicity, <laughs> in its complications, in its inequalities, in its the way to see teeming modern cities in India in the East is put your Dickens specs on, yeah, and notice the detail. Let, let's let's locate this moment. I mean. It is unmistakably the best of times and the worst of times, both <laughs> yeah. the American empire in disarray with a angry clown face at the front of it. Yeah. This cannot go on. Mm. Who knows how far back you want to take it, but mm. something's unraveling here. Mm. And um, also something's recovering. Uh, you've been here long enough to see and feel there is, there's vitality in these veins and, I notice it all the time. People are, the civic fiber mm, is mm-hmm. healthier today than it was three, four years ago, in my opinion. Yeah. Even in Bush time, people worry today about, you know, fascism. Is this Weimar America? Good question. But I don't think so. Mm-hmm. For one thing, two things. Um, we've been there. We saw more fascism than we want to admit in the George Bush years. What mm. is fascism, after all? Yeah. I say to myself... You know, big, big, big picture, it's the unity of money and political power and state power, at worst cases, around a military uh, misadventure. Yeah. Um, throw in media, social control, what Gramsci would call controlling mythology, opinion. Ooh. Every bit of that, almost including the silent churches, was united around the war in Iraq, the mm-hmm. worst blunder in American history. Mm-hmm. What can you judge about that except that we have been to the brink of fascism? There was no opposition to that war. Yeah. Not Name a newspaper that fought it. Not yeah. one. Right. Especially the New York Times and Washington Post, the New Yorker magazine, yeah. the Boston Globe. Gung-ho, let's go. And, and people were scared, actually, to be against. I mean, that Damn wasn't straight. hard to speak up. Yeah. And the, yeah. the, the February 15th, 03 demonstration in New York was virtually oh, right. uncovered by big media. Um, millions of the biggest demonstration the in the world. Yeah. So anyway, we have been in the modern PR American style version of fascism. Don't speak up. We own the political machinery. Hillary Clinton and Bill endorsed the war. John Kerry famously for it and against it. <laughs> Barack Obama, there was a gorgeous ray of hope. Yeah, He had said, no, we don't do stupid wars. But then he extended the stupid war into Afghanistan. That's 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's still out of control. Yeah. What have we learned? We're mm. still in the grip of, to my mind, and I blame the Brits for this, this imperial <laughs> madness that we are the world. Mm-hmm. Sun never sets on American power. Mm-hmm. We project everywhere. Bullshit. We are reaping the whirlwind of that folly. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump, again, he's a perfect model. He's for this. He's for that. I'll do this. I won't do that. Um, I will recognize Jerusalem. I won't <laughs> say no more of these idiot wars mm-hmm. once he's in office. The deep state is under him, but it's trying to get rid of him too. Yeah. It's it's chaos. But <laughs> strange to tell, Mark, you and I are still here. Yeah. They haven't shut down my podcast yet. Right. And and the <laughs> odd thing, I think you'd have to be here a little longer, but um not in traditional media, but on the street, in the younger generation, something happened in that New Hampshire primary that gave it to Bernie Sanders, where the kids turned out en masse mm-hmm. and said Hillary. Uh -uh. Uh uh-uh not buying it don't buy the wall street thing don't buy the eternal warfare thing you're over female or not 
that was a signal. And I would say the young generation is still up on its hind legs. Mm -hmm. And you can see it in, you see it all over electronic media. Sure. All kinds of new voices. Some of it I like. Almost all of it I like. Some of it's a little raucous and crazy. Yeah. The problem is it hasn't found any common voice, any common statement of the sort that Walter Cronkite did command in the heydays of network news, or yeah. the New York Times did when it could um, speak for the enlightened country. That's gone, and it hasn't been replaced mm. on online. Yeah, but the, the online space is one. I mean, not that it's going to be unique for 2017, perhaps, because... Surely 2018, we'll again have a discussion and, and we'll be looking at the online space where big things are going to happen, where uh, be it statements, be it movements, th they'll go through social media, obviously. Um, but, you know, 2017 for me was a reminder of the power that is now amassed in social media. And, I, and I'll give it a, a more specific yeah, name. Please. In the anger of large amounts of people. Now, those people could be progressives, but they could also be far-right uh, conservatives. Um, on Across the spectrum, there are there is anger now. And with this anger, sometimes it gets focused on a specific movement, on a, an example like turn out the vote, or, or, or an attempt anyway. Right. But it could also be focused on hating an individual or, or trying to get an individual out of their office, whatever it is. And of course, Later, later, but also this year, we've had the what we call now the Me Too movement, which is more about you know the treatment of women in the workplace and, and actually everywhere in our lives, and you know uncovering what has been a sort of put yep. to the side reality. And so we see that's the most interesting anger I see in this country. A lot of the rest of it is a kind of petulance or yeah. generations playing out the roles that are expected of them. The women's anger is deep, yeah, and trigger uh, a lot of it triggered by the personality of Donald J. Trump. But it's not just you know Harvey Weinstein or a few celebrities. It's deep. It goes into marriages. It goes into the workplace. Yeah, it goes into young women's ambitions to be deeply independent yeah. in ways that my generation's women were not, didn't pretend to be. Mm. Um, that's a big one. Yeah, and and it's it's an interesting development. I mean. Part of it is a response to things that should have happened a long time ago, but but it, it wasn't possible or it, it didn't break through or, you know, it's perhaps the right time, the right technology, the right voices. Um, but, you know, one thing I, I, I think about is I worry, in fact, and this is in no way an insult to the, I, I feel odd calling it the Me Too movement. It should be the, the women's movement or rather women's rights, um, feminism. Let's Me too is good. A better name. Um, but what I worry about in the long run, not in the perhaps the short run, is a world where, not unlike politics, where people are disillusioned, you know, not the Democrats, not the Republicans. I don't trust any party. In France, we don't trust any party. Give us, give us outsiders. But, but what outsiders? Um, the courts. We don't trust the courts. We don't trust that justice will be served. So now we go via the other channels that we have now. We have social media. We have... And, and suddenly people are both accused and the trial takes place in the sort of public square. It takes 30 seconds and the answer is you're dead. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, again, it's not to insult what are important movements that use social media, because I, th I know they exist and, and will exist. But I wonder about what's happening where citizens don't trust institutions, right? Uh, 
or, or, or I find increasingly because the institutions have failed them yeah. or so they feel. And so they turn to alternatives. Now, sometimes alternatives can be very creative, very, you know, the, the protest as an outlet for, you know, this is the way we got to go. The, the strike, if we're talking about the labor movement, that's, of course, on its last legs, perhaps in this country or in many countries. But um, when I look at, you know, social media as the only source of justice, I worry. Uh, just another thought on, on Me Too. First of all, anger... I don't know how far it gets you in the mm -hmm. long run. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a great opening. But secondly, um, there is nothing remotely like due process in this trial of, and, you know, axing of people, prominent people. And there's a lot of evil out there. And the Harvey Weinstein was an incredible, uh, sin. At the same time, I believe for Garrison Keeler, that was unjust, in my opinion. Mm. Not only, I think, between him and, the woman, but in terms of his contribution, his career, he is the Mark Twain of modern America. He created Lake Wobegon. Mm -hmm. He created so many characters, so many lines about we're all children above average. And he went on for years and years and years with a huge following. Um, that kind of artistic accomplishment cannot be put on trial over whether he put his hand on a woman's bare back I, this really distresses me. And the rush to judgment, even the Al Franken case, mm -hmm. if he'd given it a week, I think there would have been a, a surge to say, no, Al, yeah, you're, you're a voice here. You weren't elected here for your sexual virtues or vices. You've got a job to do. Lots of other people, I think, are getting a short shrift to being idiots or obnoxious. This is not right. And it will not hold. There will be some sort of ugly backlash against this kind of summary mm. justice. This is... Yeah, I, I think maybe even we could say, like, we'll see what happens, but there's a missing or there are missing pieces to this puzzle. In other words, you have a society where indeed something is deeply wrong and it's been wrong for a long time, should have been reformed. We should have moved past this by now, but we're not. We're still... No, and the race thing is yeah, the worst yeah, of it. Another there's example. There's an example of, yeah. you know, we just, just, it's just dawning on us what the real dimensions of the Civil War, of, of the... Reconstruction period of Jim Crow, all of these completely unattended, uh, gross crimes against, you know, the best people in this country. I'm hopeful that 2018 or, or looking forward, that it doesn't become the case that people treat women better because or, or don't do or act in racist ways because they're scared. I understand that that could be one useful way, but I would rather it be that culture has in fact moved, has changed, has reevaluated. Yeah, of course you hope for that, but do we know how things move culturally? No. And no. do we know what Facebook, you yeah. know, which way it pushes? I don't know. I'm particularly mm -hmm. interested in an intellectual way, in a historical way, but also in a personal way, in the whole phenomenon of mass incarceration. Mm. <clears throat> this is getting to be a thoroughly recognizable beast yeah. in our history. Yeah. It began... In the early 70s, it really began at Attica Prison, where Governor Nelson Rockefeller sent in helicopters with riflemen aboard. Every person who died, prisoners and guards, died with a New York State bullet yeah. in his body. This is only coming to light. But Nixon and Rockefeller talked at the time on the phone. We have the recordings. Hmm. It was the blacks who did this. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. yeah. A monstrous cover-up. Meantime, you know, uh, uh, a national... 
Meantime, the steady curve, getting to be straight up, mm-hmm. uh, incarceration of young black men. And we know now how it was done. Yeah. By plea bargains, scared kids, sure. didn't have representations. Mandatory minimums. Yeah, yes. all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Will we learn this lesson and start doing something constructive? Yeah. That, that to me, is one of the big questions. Back it up with better policies. You know, that would have been something. Better understanding. Yeah. Better yeah. understanding. Better understanding. Yeah. These could be your kids. These could be, these could be Irish people. These could be Germans or any other proscribed group getting this kind of treatment in isolation. Yeah. It's a monstrous violation. Can we talk a little bit about the social media? You understand it in a different way than I. Hmm. What we have been talking about in our program recently is the digital utopia that is suddenly mm-hmm. looking very, very dystopian, yeah. Mark. Yeah. We didn't know that Facebook, Google, that Amazon, that these new creations uh, would so quickly turn to outrageously exploitive monopolies, yeah. turning generating unbelievable profits. Uh, Amazon, for example. But Facebook might be the better instance of uh, uh, an institution now, 2 billion subscribers around the world. Nothing ever grew as fast as Facebook. Yeah. Not radio, not television, not print, not yeah. nothing. No. And we do the work. We, yeah. we put our cats, our opinions, our passions, our political views our flirtation on their site, and they make the money. Yeah. We do the work. They get it all. Mark Zuckerberg gets it all. Yeah. And something's got to be done and will be done. Amazon, too. You know, they've been – Boston went kind of nuts competing oh. to get yeah. Amazon's second headquarters. What does it mean? They say there'll be 50,000 pretty good jobs. Yeah. What is their business? Putting other people out of business. Mm. Um, putting the retail – I mean, there is a crisis, a crash in retail, yeah. and it's Amazon that's doing it. We will put supermarkets, mom-and-pop chains uh, out of business all over the country, and we'll do it from Boston. So let's get in on the gravy train. I guess they'll say, but it's okay, because Amazon will hire the people that are out of work. That, that's the defense. <laughs> in, in, in one city, it will. Yeah, yeah in one city, that's right. To put out, you know, to end retail, <laughs> yeah. as it's been known, yeah. Uh, for a century, I have to say I was a, a digital utopian. I thought blogs and then podcasts, in which I had a small hand, would save the world. Give voice to almost anybody, whether it's your guitar chops that you want to advertise to the world or your humor or your political opinions. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we destroyed a media infrastructure, which for all its faults um, right. <laughs> had, a th- had a certain authority. I didn't, I didn't mind it at the time because... All those established, esteemed, brand name media were back in the war in Iraq. This was two thousand and three, sure. yeah. when when I began podcasting, um, and damn them to hell. Yeah, they they still don't get it. On the other hand, we do not have, we really don't have a, a public conversation in this country. No. To me, the great warning is in Tony Jutt's wonderful book called "Ill Fares the Land." Ill fares the land where. A few people get rich, and the rest go to waste. Um, He said three things. We must save our social democracy, which is under pressure by austerity, by the worship of the rich, the cult of money all over the world. Um, Secondly, we've got to end the golden calf worship of money. The best educated kids 
in our country, our amazingly rich, interesting, middle-class country going into finance, as they used to go, alas, go into military, science, etc. Mm-hmm. But this has got to be broken somehow. But third, we have a dilapidated public conversation, he said. Yeah. Most people in this country have no significant conversation that they're part of, whether it's their... A bridge group can be a significant conversation. A lot of them are not, but <laughs> to be part of a public debate, forming of a new consensus, forming of a cultural resolution to to think again about our race issues, for example, it's very hard to locate. Yeah. Um, the, the Black Lives Matter has been a huge help. Mm. There's real energy there. Uh, women's movement, too. Somebody's got to um, speak for the alienation of the poor, who are getting more numerous all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't seen it yet. We don't know what it sounds like. We know from the old established media, I think, especially the New York Times, and I used to work for the Times, mm-hmm. um, they are preoccupied mainly with themselves, with the loss of their own voice. Mm-hmm. They couldn't stop Trump for the nomination. Now they they're... couldn't stop him for the presidency. They are out to lunch yeah. and virtually officially discounted as monitors of you know, the public mood. Yeah. Um, what are we going to do? I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, you brought me the, uh, the quote from, so we're quoting a quote, but uh, from Amanda Palmer, the great musician and, and artist. And, and yeah. she said, you know, thinking about her supporters, which, you know, she's crowdfunded a lot of her projects. She, Amanda Palmer shows up in Amsterdam, plays on the street and a, and a mass group of people show up just to listen. And she's, she's mm-hmm. essentially a busker. Go and, Amanda. Uh, yeah. And she got arrested uh, for it. And, and then, you know, people were, were demanding her release and thankfully it all worked out. But um, Amanda Palmer said to you the thing about, and we've heard this perhaps before in different forums, but that we now move towards a time where as a creator of media, you speak with your group. A village. We're in villages. We're going back to the villages, is a specific quote. And I think, and you can confirm this, that Amanda was saying this with a joy. She sees the magic in it, the the, the heart. But of course, I take that quote, and if I I think about it long enough, I start to wonder about a society where we're all back to villages. On the one hand, wonderful that you can have your bond with your your podcast and and whoever listens, your poet. Yeah, there's something great about that. The other hand, when we want to have these public conversations in countries as big as some of these countries are, right? Uh, uh, hundreds of millions of people. I mean, you're lucky if you're a little Luxembourg. Maybe that's a little easier to have a, a one one conversation nowadays. But if everybody's having a different public conversation or if, or if it's just fragmented, I wonder about uh, what we understand about ourselves as a country. I mean, that, in fact, that that's why we can have, you know, someone might say, Barack Obama, now he was... Uh, intelligent, he would, you know, give me all the positives. Um, and you could say, well, that's an American or that's America. But then we get, of course, our Trump. And you could say, well, that, is that America? Yes, I would say that's also America because America is that diverse, but also in its conversations and understanding, there's this, there's so many ways of slicing people take on what's happening in the country, in the world. It's always amazing to me. People will talk about the last eight years or so and say, that was a horrible time. So good to be rid of, you know, the o- Obama and, and that era. And then there are other people that would go, no, that was an okay time. And they're living in the same country, right? I mean, this is, whether it's class, whether it's geography, 
uh, I don't know, but it, there are some signs of uh, race, you know, uh, being part of this as well. Uh, your experience is different in the same place. We can be neighbors, but our understanding of yeah. what's going on around us is very different. The other piece that Amanda Palmer was saying was, she's speaking about her own incredible success, mm. crowdsourcing mm-hmm. her life. Um, she basically, you know, the famous Amanda Palmer story was she asked for $85,000 on Kickstarter to make a record without a record company. She got $1.2 million. And, but what she had, she discovered, was basically 11,000 super solid supporters who would, who would send it to the moon and finance it if need be. Um, but that's it. Yeah. That is not Caruso. That is not <laughs> Jack Benny on CBS radio in the 1930s. This is a kind of small cult of a very important voice, but we don't, we, we need a bigger voice. That's in media, in politics, in culture. You know, Ariana Huffington says, I'm just living in a dream. <laughs> I miss the CBS yeah. news of ah. the 70s and 80s. I miss Walter Cronkite. I miss Charles yeah. Kuralt. I miss all manner of able correspondents. The program, CBS News, was a lost leader for William Paley. Jack Benny had been his original payday that built CBS in a certain way. Uh, but there you had, in the Edward R. Murrow tradition, uh, people searching the news and doing it all in 22 minutes per day. Mm. Um, but... It, we took it seriously. We took Walter seriously. It was no no joke that he was the most trusted man in America. He said to me one time in retirement when he was selling his <laughs> book around the country and he did our show, I said, who do you trust, Walter? <laughs> and praise God, he said, I trust Anthony Lewis of the New York Times. And I would have said, you got it. You got it. Anthony Lewis is dead. Walter Cronkite is dead. Who do you trust, Mark? Oh. That is a hard one, yeah. You know, the people I trust most, I'm not going to, well, are the journalists that I've, that I've walked with, that I've sat with and listened to them and made the decision, this is a judgment that I, I trust. This is a vision that is not yeah. skewed by any kind of vendetta, any kind of anger, but more mm-hmm. a sense of I want to know. Uh, so, so in that sense... I trust you, Chris. <laughs> Thank and, you. And, you know, uh, I got to spend a decent amount of time in Afghanistan, and I can rattle off a few mostly Dutch journalists who I saw them at work, yeah. and I say, if I want to understand Afghanistan, besides speaking directly to my Afghan friends, which is, which is the best way, um, but I can also talk to these dedicated observers that are still out there. They're there. You know, they're, they're not just sitting home. Right. No offense to those of us who do sit home and create media, um, but they live it and uh not just as visitors either right they're they're you and i have done egypt yeah that wasn't sitting at home it yeah. was a whole lot of fun mark and and we and learned a ton you. that that we can't perhaps get uh on our own we need we still need people out there you know i guess we got sold this idea because it it was inspiring in the era of the blogger and and much love to all bloggers i would say uh but in the era of the blogger it was the idea that hey, it's okay, we have the technology now, you can sit home and talk about the world and debate it and discuss it. And indeed, there's room there for, for some discussion, some vehicle, but it was suggested that this would somehow replace the correspondent or the, 
the intrepid mm. journalists in the field. And of course, then the funds started to dry up for those people. So it's harder than ever to be a journalist out in the field and as necessary as needed as ever. But it's it's seen as somehow old hat or, or not mm. a priority, perhaps, for a lot of media organizations and maybe even audiences, right? Because we could crowdfund right. a lot of this, but how many intrepid journalists are being crowdfunded? And, and how long is crowdfunding going to last? What if that trend passes? I mean, in some ways it already has, right? We've moved on. In, in podcasting, we look more towards, in the US, maybe Patreon. In Europe, maybe Flatter. Not sure. Commercial um, sponsors too, yeah. Yeah, I, commercial I sponsors. Big belief that the commercial sponsors are going to bring us through this time. They're going to bring mm. us the money. You know, I, I, I can't listen to a podcast without learning about mattresses or website design. Or it's, I don't know. Uh, I guess for a lot of people, it's fine because they're enjoying the programs and they don't mind the ads as they did in another era. But I think there's a limitation there that we're only scratching the surface of there. That, that there's not going to be enough ad money for real, like a real choice of, mm. of voices, of dedicated voices. There's not going to, and I don't know that there's enough audience money, though there are wonderful examples out there that say, don't worry, look, you know, people are out there. I'm interested, be it 2018, or maybe it's going to take longer, but I'm interested in the cultural shift where people feel like they're a part of whatever it is, the musician, the, the podcast, the website. And as part of it, not only are you, yes, of course, hopefully you you donate to keep it going the way you would for a cup of coffee at your, your local coffee shop, but also that you, you know, you, you stay in, in communication with, you stay part of the conversation, as you used mm. to say. And I, I don't know if culture is heading in that direction or not. Um, it could. I think we're, there's a crossroads here where we could become sort of active. Who knows, really. Seasons. But what we keep hearing and I keep seeing and hearing one-to-one, -one, is that the younger generation, the millennials, um, not perfect by a long shot, mm -hmm. but they are much more tolerant, more humble, less judgmental on issues, on the whole spectrum of sexual issues, mm -hmm. but also on race, much less fearful in certain ways than we grew up being. Um, whether they will find instruments of real action, I don't know, and I'm not at all... You know, I'm not, I'm not sold yet. Yeah. We'll find out. I mean, 2018 may be a year where we get a better sense of, of what is about to happen, especially that generation, which, mm -hmm. you know, is not young anymore. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, I mean, if we're talking about millennials, uh, they're heading into their twenties. So, uh, yeah, technically. Yeah. The Bernie kids will be what? Approaching 30. Well, yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And what will they do? Because it won't be Bernie, right? It has to be about more than that. It's not about one person. And that, that'll be interesting. If No, strange to say, I think the Bernie voice is a good one. And mm. people are bought into that for a reason. It starts with the love of country, love of our fundamental values, which include uh, a deep down, sometimes ironic, but love of freedom, mm -hmm. individuality, uh, self-reliance, as Ralph Waldo Emerson would say, but also a compassion fraternity. Somebody said the other day, I asked a guy, who is the Bernie Sanders of the environment, of global warming? And he said, Bernie Sanders is the Bernie <laughs> Sanders of the environment. I think Bernie Sanders is still an incredibly important signal mm. of where this country wants to go, which is not rejecting uh, the country and its values, but wanting to revive them and speak up for the common man. I mean, um, 
our best music, I'm thinking Aaron Copeland. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that tradition of American populism that is not vengeful, that is not, um, it is not furious with this or that, but um, the howdy and the handshake, you know, the, the, the people in my neighborhood, uh, Bernie appealed to them. And he should have won the nomination. And he would be president today if he had won the nomination, in mm. my opinion. Mm. Um, so, but I'm hopeful that it's it's not unlike uh, Black Lives Matters comes to mind. I'm hopeful that it's not a movement that is reliant upon one person. And that if he retires, or if he just wants to take it easy, that we lose the momentum for things like free education, including higher education, yep. or, or universal. Yeah, yeah. My, my great hope, and, and I don't know, there haven't been a lot of, although I just named one, but um, my hope is that it's not about one person, that the movement, that it's a movement. Uh, and, I, and I think there are signs that it is, and I, I hope that uh, if the movement needs a figurehead on occasion, then great, uh, be it Bernie right now, and let it be whoever yeah, next. there's lots of reason to be full of hope. Not optimism, but hope. I love Zadie Smith. Everybody loves Zadie Smith. But mm-hmm. speaking to your base on the on the west coast of Europe, I mean, mm-hmm. she was saying at New York University how much better equipped her students are to cope with this crisis than her kids in England. Mm. And they're activists. They make lists easily. They get meetings going, you know, almost like falling out of bed. Um, mm. And there's a lot of productive conversation, I think, in this country, end of 2017. Let's hope. Yeah. May you live in interesting times, my beloved colleague, Mark Andiro. Thank you very much. I mean, uh, I feel like I do live in interesting times because I have you in my life. <laughs> and, Thank you. Uh, and, and, you know, um, for, the, for the in-person uh, meetings and discussions and, and, and fun, that, that's, I, I can't even describe how, much, how important it is to me. But also, you, you go with me everywhere I go. <laughs> you're thank in you. my ears and well, in my mind which is thank uh, you. which is a great thing you know that's that's one of the things i love uh, as much as we can worry about the state of the internet and what's going to happen that utopia you described i have a little piece of that mm. and it 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 starts it started a long time ago with you and um and yeah. i enjoy it i enjoy it and i learn a lot you know school same for you i know school has never ended for mm. me i'm learning Every week, every day. Mm. Uh, and part of it is because of what we've created on the internet. Thank um, you, Mark. Let's take a trip yeah. in 2018. Sounds good to me. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mark. Ah, uh, you've been listening to Chris Leiden and myself talking about what is going on. That was recorded in Boston in the last days of 2017 and here we are in 2018 i do recommend that first of all you subscribe to citizen reporter if you're not already because i'm going to be producing shows on the regular weekly from now on that's my promise back to where i was originally and also radio open source christopher Lydon's show you've got to subscribe to radio open source Uh, that's it for my show for today you can get in touch via twitter at bicycle mark email bicyclemark at gmail.com or just stay subscribed and uh, I'll talk to you very soon. Thanks for listening. See ya!